This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Cryptoson. On this episode of the podcast, we have motherfucking Matt O'Dell, co-host of the Tales from the Crypt podcast. We talk about why exchanges suck. We talk about BTC pay quite a bit, and we talk about privacy quite a bit. We might throw lightning in there a little bit too, if we can help it. For the sake of brevity, I'm going to skip all the introductory shit that I typically put here at the introduction. I'm going to put it on the outro. So let's go ahead and jump into the episode. I would like to go ahead and welcome Matt O'Dell to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing, Matt? Very happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you on here, man. It's, uh, you know, everyone knows you from uh, Tales from the Crypt. I, you know, I've definitely listened to the, you know, that podcast quite a bit. I don't really remember exactly how you got into Bitcoin from the podcast. You probably have said it a million times. I probably just missed it. Do you want to just let my listeners know, uh, you know, how you got into Bitcoin and that whole thing? Yeah, so I mean, I actually, the only time I really ever talked about it on the pod was the first episode I was on. Um, and that was like as a guest, like in the interview series. And then I, RHR came later, our, our weekly recap uh, came maybe like five months later or six months later. I had, I, I had two friends tell me about it. The first friend told me about it in 2012. He was, you know, it was college. He did way too many painkillers and told me about the Silk Road. Uh, and I just scoffed it off. I, you know, I, I thought it couldn't really work. The government would shut it down. Someone would shut it down uh, or the money would be stolen. It just didn't really, you know, the, the usual scoff. And then in early 2013, I had another college friend tell me about it. And he was like a straight edge. He was a straight edge nerd. Uh, and it was like a completely different type of person to tell me about it. So I was like, oh, maybe something's here. And then there was that first 2013 run where the price uh, went to 250 like really, really quickly from maybe like $30 or something. And obviously that caught my attention as well. And then the rest has just been history. I've basically just, since then, I've just been trying to figure out how it couldn't work. And that just made me love it even more. All right. You know, sounds pretty similar to, I think, you know, how I started, you know, Silk Road 2013. When you first jumped into it, did you kind of take the normal path that I think a lot of people take where you start trading, where you start mining, where you start doing you know, all the different things that the little space we have here kind of has to offer. You know, I didn't really, you know, I, we didn't call it stacking sats back then, but uh, that's kind of how I jumped into it. You know, dollar cost averaging. Sure. Um, it was really, it was like hard to get Bitcoin. So I was just trying to get some, uh, basically. Uh, I did try cloud mining, which no one should ever do. Uh, that was a really bad idea lost whatever I put into that. I realized pretty quickly that I sucked at trading because the, I would just, I sucked at buying, you know, I just, I was like, I would, I, it, it felt like almost like every time I bought, like the price dropped in like 2014 and 2015. So I just assumed I couldn't really ever trade. I just ignored that whole aspect. It was always, to me, it was always, this seems like the best money we've ever had. I should probably try and get as much of it as possible while still like being responsible. And I think Reddit back then was actually pretty good about instilling that uh, notion into people 
uh, that like, don't put in more than you can afford to lose, uh, be responsible about it. It was almost more the like 2015 to 20 late 2017 area where everything just got like a little bit ridiculous, uh, where people were saying, you know, trade this shit coin, trade that shit coin, use leverage. So, I mean, I think that's a very interesting uh, contrast comparing the late 2013 run-up to the late 2017 run-up. You know, you're present for both. You know, what other ways would you, you know, really contrast those two different run-ups? I can't really remember too many people from 2013 uh, caring about Litecoin, for example, but I guess we did have something like Dogecoin at the end of 2013. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only alt back then that really anyone was paying attention to was Litecoin. Because uh, I, I remember because people were speculating that it was going to get added to Mt. Gox in two weeks. And that was like a big um, source of pump. And clearly it never got added to Mt. Gox. Mt. Gox uh, went down shortly after. Um, but I remember people saying that. And then Dogecoin did have its moment in the sun there. I remember it uh, It had more hash rate than Light, Litecoin at one point. And then they switched it to Merge. My, I don't know. There was some re- craziness there. But I, the big difference really was Ethereum. Like once that, once Ethereum pumped, there was just so much money sloshing around that these people who had bought Ethereum had, and I just feel like they just went into everything. There's just thousands of coins. I, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again, but that was, I remember, I mean, during periods of, of 2017, I was just sitting there. I was just like, am I crazy? Like, did, am I wrong? Do I, is there's this whole new asset class that's blowing up and it's just going to be you know, billion dollar chains left and right. Is that really what's going to happen? Or is the world going to get tokenized? And I just thought I was crazy. But fortunately, I didn't get fooled by the greed there. And I was able to, you know, protect myself. Do you think we would have had the run up at the end of 2017 if Ethereum never, you know, existed? Yes, but maybe it wouldn't have been so extreme. You know, I, I think I tend to, I don't know about the stock to flow model or whatever, but I tend to believe that like Bitcoin is designed to pump um, forever, it just and and it's but it's volatile in the short term and it just nets up. Whether that has to do with the halvings and whether they're priced in or not is kind of irrelevant to me. I think the whole system as designed, as more people buy it, it should go up as the supply, the new supply decreases. An equivalent amount of demand side should push the price up. So I think we would have went up regardless. Probably not that extreme. The other thing that I think was a big deal was the the futures products like the CME and the CBOE adding because, I mean, we had like, what, there was like 15 days or 16 days above 10K uh, and it all coincided with the, I mean, if you disregard the most recent run up, but it all coincided with those futures launches and I didn't expect them to launch. Uh, so, I mean, and then I would go against people who say like, oh, the, the futures product when they released, they crashed the price of Bitcoin. I think we probably wouldn't have hit 20 or like near 20 if they hadn't launched in the first place, like just the hype of them launching. But yeah, definitely Ethereum brought a lot of attention to the space and a lot of that went into Bitcoin, but a lot of it didn't, right? So it, it was definitely it was definitely an extremely interesting phenomenon. The whole like ICO corruption thing that happened was just really horrible to see. And that was one of the reasons I, my offset got destroyed because I was speaking up about it and stuff. There were so many newcomers that came in and just they just got like slaughtered on those things and they were just getting shilled left and right by people who had bags and it was just really 
uh, painful to see. Do you think that we're ever going to see a kind of similar mania to the end of 2017 again? I don't know. But probably, maybe, uh, maybe not. I, I, I'm definitely, I don't definitely don't think like this idea of like alt season is the thing. I, but I also am not the type of person that will say that it'll be, there'll never be shit coins. I think there'll always be thousands and thousands of shit coins. Uh, and I think people like trading them because people like to gamble. Um, and I think it's like one of the number one use cases, you know, one of the top use cases of Bitcoin is, is to then, you know, use it. It's like the reserve asset of this whole shitcoin casino. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is all, well, a lot of it is free open source software, so people can fork it and they can do all these different things. And a lot of them are illiquid. So they, they end up pumping a lot more. Like we see like all the shenanigans that are going on with Bitcoin SV right now. So, yeah, I mean, I think we will see lots of pumps and lots of shenanigans, but I think at the end of the day, for like 99% of people, dollar cost averaging Bitcoin will work out better for them. And I think that all these assets, like on the long term, will trend to zero when priced in Bitcoin. And I actually take like even more extreme view. Like I think like real estate and gold and everything else is also trending to zero in terms of Bitcoin. Well, in terms of Bitcoin, I think I would agree with you there. Yeah. Just to kind of double check something here, are there any other chains or tokens or coins or whatever, you know, bullshit term you want to use that piques your interest at all? You know, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, as an asset or anything that you would recommend to anyone, but just, you know, this has cool technology, whatever. There's a couple chains that I actively watch that I think they have some interesting things that could be, I think of altcoins kind of as like this test bed. It's basically like a like a massive bug bounty program that's being run by all these people who are valuing short term over long term. But Bitcoin can take a lot from those real world experiences as we see them. And there's an incentive to break them because there's money on the line. So it creates this pretty interesting phenomenon. Stuff like that we like argued theoretically about why a large block size might be an issue. And then we see it unfolding in Ethereum right now, right? Where you see people are having trouble running nodes. Um, you, you see the nodes getting centralized, like among Infura and stuff like that. You see what happens when we have like, if, if there's like a culture where you can just have hard forks all the time. And I think we'll have even bigger lessons there. You know, we saw like stuff like the Ethereum classic attack where the, the nodes got Eclipse attacked was like really interesting, I think. And I think Bitcoiners can learn a lot from stuff like that. So I definitely like keep an eye on some projects, but as far as like my portfolio is concerned, just a Bitcoin guy. And as far as I, I would never, I never like, I only talk about the ones that are doing really bad things because I don't want to, I don't know, they're, they're just very illiquid and I don't want to, you know, move markets or anything like that. I think we should go ahead and move on there. I think that's too much talking about non-Bitcoin things and non-lightning things. We should have more lightning talk here. So Agreed. Something that I'm kind of looking at on my desk here, and I think something that you just recently received as well, is the uh, new Samurai uh, Nodal. Is that right? Yes, yes, the Nodal Dojo. Uh, yeah, correct. Have you had a chance to set yours up yet? Yes, I have. It's it's very it's, it's very easy to set up. You said you have one too? Yeah, I, I just received it yesterday. I, I have not had a chance to actually do anything with it quite yet. Oh, you got to plug that baby in. Well, yeah, that's, you know, got it late last night and, you know, I was doing something else. So I was like, I'll just do it something at the, sometime today. You know, it's still like the first gen of the, the UI software or whatnot, because he, you know, he's just trying to get them shipped out. Uh, and he will update them. I mean, do you have the original Noddle? Uh, no, I never got around to, to getting the Noddle. Um, when I heard that they were building a Samurai version, yeah. I was like, I'll just wait for that. And then, you know, it took 
a minute for that to happen. So the original Noddle is great. I've always had great experiences with it and it's proved, improved tremendously since when I got it. The software, the UI on the new Noddle is a little bit more rough around the edges because his priority was getting Dojo up. So you can run Lightning in Dojo, but he has a lot more updates coming soon. I mean, the crazy thing to me is, you know, from a privacy standpoint, the number one most important thing you can do is, is use your own node. And like most people are, are storing on hardware wallets up until like relatively recently, it wasn't user-friendly at all for people to access their hardware wallets using their own node. I mean, I'm sure your listeners know, but the reason why you'd want to do this is because if you're, if you're using someone else's node, that node sees all your transactions and your balances and your addresses. They see everything. So like you have a key trusted third party there. And what a lot of people were doing was they were, I mean, if you use Ledger or, or Trezor uh, with their corresponding software, those companies are getting all of your information. And then a lot of people th that were more hardcore were using Electrum, but they weren't using it with their own Electrum server. And Electrum servers are expensive to run. So the most people that are running them are probably chain analysis companies. So you're giving it straight to a chain analysis company. So what's really cool about the, the, the Dojo, um, whether that's in Noddle or whether that's um, using like the, the Ronin tool or um, the MyNode now has added it, is that you're literally just scanning a QR code. That's very user-friendly, especially from where we were before. I mean, even you can have like, I could have like friends and family scan my QR code and then they're instantly paired with my node. And yeah, they're trusting me, but that's a way different trust model than using like Ledger servers. I purchased the uh, Casa when it first came out. How would you contrast those two? Because I feel like they have very different philosophies. And my experience with the Casa has been pretty, pretty rough the last couple of months. I'm probably not going to get too much into it on the podcast, but yeah, it's not the greatest experience. You know, what would you say on, on your end? Yeah, I mean, I was always disappointed with the Casa node. Uh, the main issue was that they shipped underpowered hardware uh, and it really, it really like, it hurt the UX because the hardware was so, so underpowered. Uh, you know, it didn't have an SSD. It had an old Raspberry Pi in it. And that's why I've loved my Noddle. I, I have both the, the original Casa and the Noddle. And I think the Noddle is, is fantastic. I mean, the cool part about a Noddle is that it runs like all these different things, right? It runs like BTC Pay, it runs LND, and it's all open, you know, like with the with the Casa, with the Casa node, you have to you have to use like their app. You have to use their extension. Like everything is siloed. They 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 more like want to be like what the like the Apple of Bitcoin. While like the Noddle is is you know more open platform. It's more like Linux or maybe Android or something. And then the other thing, I mean, with the Noddle Dojo, like. They did the exact opposite. They made it like a premier, like a premium device. Like the Noddle Dojo has two SSDs in it that back each other up that are encrypted. And they have a kill switch in it that if you open the case, it cuts the power so that you need the encryption password to access it. And the reason that's important is twofold is because our lightning nodes are holding funds in them. So if someone gets physical access to your device, they can take those funds. And then also you could do Whirlpool two different ways. You can either on-demand mix on your phone or you can mix all the time and, and basically provide liquidity, right? Where you're you're just keeping funds constantly in Whirlpool and remixing them. So you're giving liquidity to other people and you're getting more privacy out of it. In that case, the actual node is holding funds for that too. So it's got two big hot wallets on it. It's got your lightning hot wallet and it's got your, your mixing hot wallet. And those funds like... You got to take that security seriously twofold, which is the, the double SSDs for backup 
and if something goes wrong and then you have the encryption for if someone like actually just grabs the device. I want to kind of just dig into lightning a little bit here. I hope I'm not moving too quickly through these subjects. No, I'm having a great time. Let's happy to talk about everything. All right. You know, talking about the cost a little bit here, you know, I definitely did uh, when I first uh, first bought it, you know, I definitely did like it overall, you know, it helped me to kind of get into lightning and understand it and everything eventually started to move on to using a PTC pay server as like my main like lightning node, just because the, the cost just felt too restrictive and being able to actually use my um, lightning node on the command line was actually very helpful and just being able to understand how, uh, you know, how to set fees and stuff like that. How much time have you spent kind of just playing around with your own uh, like LND node, you know, whether it be on the nodal or some other um, setup? I mean, that's how I've learned everything. Like I'm not, I'm not like a talented programmer or anything. I was actually like bearish on lightning until maybe like January of last year. And I just jumped in and just started playing around with it. And like, I feel like that's like the best way to learn. Uh, that's the best way to, to get comfortable with, with anything. And specifically with lightning, like it's, it's worked really well for a, you know, what is in effect a beta product? Like it works extremely well for my experiences. And that's what gives me confidence in lightning as a technology, as a, like as a network, like I, I was for, is from using it firsthand and actually seeing it work. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, definitely. It, you know, going to the lightning conference was an amazing experience because, you know, we had a handful of things you could actually use lightning in the real world and Hey, it just worked. And there was, you know, there were some hiccups that the Wi-Fi was, was shit. So it was a uh, hard, kind of hard to kind of get bandwidth anywhere, but you know, you know, when it worked, it worked pretty well. Have you actually, you know, kind of talking about, you know, the lightning conference and you being able to use it in the real world, have you been able to use it in the real world at any kind of merchants or anything like that? Like a physical, in a physical sense, no, I don't, I mean, maybe like, like I, I've done payments to people, uh, like direct individuals. Um, but I mean, I think it's really powerful in terms of in-person transactions, but I mean, I still think cash is king. Like I'm an old timer in that regard, but in terms of like online payments, especially coupled with BTC Pay, it's pretty crazy. Like the the UX is fantastic, and it's so rudimentary still. It's still so early compared to to paying with Bitcoin or even like credit card. Like we're already there, and they're just getting started. And and that that merchants can just run, they can just run this this software stack in BTC Pay, and they can just process all their own payments globally and not pay BTC pay a fee or not rely on trusted third parties is like pretty fucking crazy. Um, we never really had that. Like people would like post addresses and stuff, but we never really had that side of the software stack. And then when you look on it from lightning, you know, I've used jewel willow burns extension. It was like extremely seamless, uh, or even just using the phone apps with, you know, the QR code pops up on the screen and you just scan it with your phone app that, it's pretty satisfying too. It's just like you get a green check right away. You don't have to, you know, even the invoice. I like, I kind of like the invoice system. Like now they're talking about getting rid of the invoice system. Maybe we'll have both, but I kind of like that. It just pre-populates all my information for me, even though like I hated BIP70 invoicing, but I don't know, maybe I'm a hypocrite there. Part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast, I think is, you know, I definitely like when you talk about the kind of cypherpunk future, you know, coin joins everywhere, lightning everywhere. Where do you see things kind of going in the next few years if 
things kind of take a fairly ideal uh, path in your eyes? Well, I mean, the ideal path is, I, I think a key thing here is, is the U.S. government continue to take a hands-off approach. And if you asked me in like 2015, if the U.S. government was going to ban Bitcoin, just, you know, forget what else they do. They just ban it. I would have said it was like pretty, pretty good likelihood. And I think that's one of the reasons why the 2017 run was as crazy as it was, was because people, a lot of people came to the same realization as me that like all, all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, we're getting futures products. We're getting stuff like that. Maybe this won't happen. And the reason I bring that up is because I really do think our biggest UX hurdle is regulatory. Right. Like you can build a very pretty product uh, that's easy to use if you're not worried about state resistance. But the second you're worried about like states, different governments coming in and cracking down on this stuff, then that's where the UX needs to be. You basically have to make creative decisions to, to try and keep a good UX. And, you know, like stuff like Breeze has done like a really good job with that. And they have their own trade offs. Right. And they're obviously a centralized company. So like it really comes, but it, so it comes down to if there's a regulatory crackdown and if there is like things could get dicey there for a while. I just think that's less likely than before. What I want to see is like, I, I think, think it will happen is, is states will continue to restrict cash usage. It's not my specialty, but like the economy just, it seems like it's, it's a little bit out of control. It looks like we're going to go to like negative interest rates and stuff like that. So they're even more likely to restrict cash more. We've seen them restrict it left and right, both for privacy reasons. But I think the, the ulterior motive that they don't really talk about is, is because they don't want you hoarding cash or gold in a negative interest rate environment where you're going to be losing money if it's in a bank. So in that situation, I think you see it, you'll end up seeing a lot of physical merchants and online merchants spin up their own BTC pay instances uh, to accept Bitcoin because... They want to get KYC free Bitcoin. I think the incentive is was always in the reverse. Like people thought like, oh, you can just get companies like BitPay to add merchants and then like that'll help Bitcoin because like people will spend there. But like those merchants, they didn't care about Bitcoin. It was just a gimmick for them. They were selling it for USD right afterwards. There's going to be, and there's already, you're already starting to see it happen, but there's going to be more and more merchants who want Bitcoin, that they, they have goods and services that they want to offer. And they have Bitcoin and they're going to offer discounts, discounts if you pay in Bitcoin because they want that Bitcoin so badly and because it doesn't have KYC attached to it. And Bitcoiners will spend there because all the exchanges will be KYC'd and they get a nice discount. There's like all these different thresholds that Bitcoin needs to pass that like it, when it grows up, as it grows up, you know, and I think like the one of the big ones was like getting past Bitmain in terms of ASICs and like getting past Segwit2x. I think one of these thresholds is really like we need to get Bitcoin to the point where it's like a circular economy. I don't know if you saw like I I had a, a poll recently on Twitter and like one of these things is like so I one of my main focuses is privacy because I think that's like if not big Bitcoin's biggest vulnerability, it's one of its biggest vulnerabilities. One of the things I get as pushback all the time is like, oh, Matt, Matt, like if, if you care about privacy, like you shouldn't buy through a KYC exchange. But the thing is, like, it's way easier to say that than actually do that. And I think a lot of people say that. But if you want to buy like any kind of if you want to buy large amounts of Bitcoin, like you're going to you like pretty much going to get KYC. And the overwhelming majority of people that are buying Bitcoin right now are buying through KYC. And all those people, they're known actors now. Right. Like they know their addresses and they know how much Bitcoin they bought and they can then use 
all, all that data, like chain analysis companies, they're basically building these massive data sets where they combine all of that different data and they're able to track transactions that they might not otherwise be able to track through process of elimination. Especially like if you start talking about like major governments, they have all these external surveillance they can do as well, you know, like location, stuff like that, all this different metadata that they're getting from people's phones, facial scans and everything, right? So you mix that all together and they have these massive, massive data sets. And like, so I, I see Bitcoin being very vulnerable in that regard. And one of the biggest things that could improve that situation besides specific privacy tools like CoinJoin it is a circular economy. And I think Lightning is going to play a major role there because one of the issues is, is you could have like great privacy, but then when you spend, that's where you leak a lot of information is when you spend because you spend and it might be linked to an IP address. It might be linked to an email address, uh, a home address or office address where you're getting mailed to. So then you're trusting that merchant with some of that information. And then you usually get toxic change back uh, and that change is linked. So if, so if you then combine that change with other funds, you can develop some kind of idea of, of the rest of the person's wallet. And we like, obviously we can't be in that situation. We can't be in a situation where you pay someone and they know your salary, like know your net worth. Like that's crazy. And I think lightning is going to play a big role there. And that's, that was another aha moment I had uh, like a year ago where I was like, you know, it's still early and no one should ex expect that, you know, lightning is basically you should operate under the assumption there's no privacy improvement whatsoever right now, but I'm very bullish on it being a, a big privacy improvement going forward, especially as we have like these uh, multi-path payments but, but one thing to keep in mind here is like, for instance, right now we have what 50% of the network is still being run through Ellen big, uh, which is like one actor who we don't know who it is. Like, that's obviously not great. Uh, and then the other thing is like, we need to make sure like we need individuals running nodes through Tor uh, that are independent and they're run by unknown people. And I think that's one of the great things that I really like about the Noddle is I think it's awesome to build your own node. And I, I tell everyone they should, you know, it'd be great. Uh, my node makes it really easy now and you learn a lot more that way. But what's really nice about Nautilus, the Nautilus is a device that you can buy and you can connect it through Tor and you could be like a decent sized routing node on the network. You can support the network and make it so like we can't have the situation where like the only lightning nodes running on the network are like BitRefill, Bitfinex, you know. Ellen big we can't we can't have like just uh, we, we can't we, we got to make sure we don't hit this like hub and spoke type of situation and I think everyone can do their part by by running a tour node uh, that's always on uh, if you're in a country that you know isn't going to crack down on any kind of tour usage which most of the western world doesn't care about as long as you're not running an exit node um, like you should do that and that that really helps the network and it doesn't have to be a lot of money. Like you can just put in whatever you're comfortable with. It just provides another path. I think you gave me a lot to kind of unpack there. So I'm going to kind of go back <laughs> to the very beginning to do that, if you don't mind. You kind of gave me the more idealistic situation there. You know, what if we get the less optimal thing here? What if, you know, the U.S. government, we get someone else in the president's seat 
who is just like, you know, fuck Bitcoin. I want this thing to die right now is on TV saying, you know, fuck Bitcoin. It's banned. You know, we're going to go to all our other, you know, friends in the world and make sure they ban Bitcoin too. And we're going to go, you know, and try to put the brakes on it at every single, you know, on and off ramp possible. Could Bitcoin survive in that very adversarial environment? I mean, I think Bitcoin can survive, but I think Bitcoiners will get fucked hard. And I mean, obviously, it matters where you live, it matters how you acquire the Bitcoin. Um, but and it'll definitely slow down. It would slow down Bitcoin tremendously. I mean, this is one of these things is Bitcoin needs time, right? So like if Trump gets reelected, that's four more years. That's a lot of time in Bitcoin. You know, I don't like talking politics, but I think he's going to win again. And this is, he, his focus isn't on Bitcoin at all. I, the, the game plan is it's a simple game plan. Most people are KYC'd already. Uh, governments will just if this is if I was going to attack it, this is what I would do. I would issue a law that said you had to disclose or a ruling that said you had to disclose all your holdings. You, they could even go as far as saying, like, give us specific addresses uh, and how much you hold. And then they'll catch some people lying about that. Right. Because they have this KYC info because people aren't using CoinJoin because people aren't running their own nodes. People aren't, you know, CoinJoin usage is still very low. Lightning usage is still pretty low. Most people are buying on KYC. Most people aren't running their own nodes. And like, so, so like Ledger and Trezor, like, I don't think they're logging. I'm not accusing them of logging, but they could be, or, or they could be forced to, or their servers could get compromised. Like, just think about something like a, like a Trezor, like they have people's home addresses and they potentially have all your addresses and all your balances, right? So all this information is out there. So people will undoubtedly try and lie about it. They'll catch a couple of people lying about it and then they'll do some like show trials. You know, they did this with BitTorrent. They, they just, they make an example out of a few people and then they scare the majority into compliance. Uh, and then from that point, they know the majority of transactions going through the network. And all of a sudden we get into like really dark areas where like they start trying to blacklist transactions and, and do stuff like that. And that they don't even have to ban Bitcoin in that situation. They could they could just ban essentially just ban self custody. Like it, you know, most exchanges wouldn't let you withdraw. And then if you've already have the Bitcoin, like you have to be giving disclosures every uh, year. That could be. I think that's like the lowest hanging fruit. They could do that relatively easily. Most governments could do that relatively easily. You don't even have to be a major government to do it. Could you see that environment or kind of world? Um, actually accelerating Bitcoin development in a certain way, hardening it even more just because it is in such an adversarial environment? Well, what I was kind of hoping for was, and it didn't really come to pass, I was kind of hoping for some of these altcoins to get hit so that, you know, you could have like a learning experience without the actual King Bitcoin get hit. But it's weird. It, does, it hasn't seemed to happen. I mean, they even give like, they gave like EOS a slap on the wrist and like EOS was like, like the it's the ultimate shitcoin. Like that was... I, you know, I don't, I don't know how that got a pass. So it, it makes me think that at least the U.S. government doesn't make a move, and if the U.S. government doesn't make a move, like it gives us enough cover. But like, if you, if like, if you had a bunch of major governments make moves around the same time, and like the Western world was all going after it, and the Chinese continued to go after it, uh, like it would seriously hamper Bitcoin adoption, at least in the short term. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely get priorities straight again about what's important and, and why why these things are built the way they're built. But but I think Bitcoiners have a pretty good focus about that already, uh, which is good to see. Stuff like the, like the excitement around BTC Pay. 
like BTC pay is a product that's designed to work in that kind of environment. I mean, it would just completely destroy like the so-called crypto industry. Like they would be fucking done. There's like nothing there that's built for state resistance, not even like Ethereum. Like Ethereum, like as a network would probably just grind to a halt. They would just like hit the major players um, and just, or add KYC just like across the board. Like they couldn't, they couldn't handle that. So I, I definitely don't think, I'm not going to fall into the meme here where I would say this is good for Bitcoin. It's better if there's no moves made. But I think as like responsible Bitcoiners, we should be considering this as a risk. And, you know, Bitcoin is a voluntary system here. Like everyone has to take it into their own hands. Like it's going to come down to, for individuals, if this type of situation happens, like it's going to come down to individuals protecting themselves and learning about different privacy pitfalls with Bitcoin and how they can improve their own privacy and just be humble about it and just constantly learn. Otherwise, like you're super vulnerable to your own government, like coming after you. And at the end of the day, like, what are we trying to do? At least I know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to accumulate Bitcoin for my future family. And, you know, I just, I don't want to lose that Bitcoin. Do you think BTC pay server is one of the most important projects in the entire space period? Full stop. Most important project without a doubt. Let's go into a little bit more because we've, we've touched on some pretty good reasons why that is, I think. For example, with with my own podcast here, you know, I wanted a way to fund it because at the very beginning I was very anti-sponsor, and now I'm I'm starting to begrudgingly uh, accept the idea of taking on a sponsor. At the very beginning, I was like, hey, I want to be able to accept Bitcoin and Bitcoin over Lightning very easily. You know, I already had a, a routing node on on a BTC Pay server, uh, so it was pretty easy to just you know turn on their their, their crowdfunding thing and just accept uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin over Lightning through that. What are your kind of real world uh, kind of use cases? I mean, obviously, probably with the, uh, the, the podcast there. Yeah, I mean, so we run BTC Pay at the podcast. Um, we also have ads. Uh, basically, like I, I completely agree with you that I, I ideally I would want my own podcast to be no ads. But I, I think that and just con- contributor funded. But I think like specifically with Bitcoin right now, it's like, Sats are pretty cheap, you know, let people accumulate now and we can move to a fully contributor model in the future. And it's nice that we have BTC pay as that option. You know, it's completely self-sovereign. We can't get canceled. Like we saw all this stuff getting canceled on Patreon. Like people's just livelihoods were getting removed for whatever reason through this centralized company. And then Patreon takes a, takes a fee too. And like they hold all of your engagement hostage. So BTC pay obviously provides a, a massive improvement there. But I think... Yeah, any online business, obviously, like it's just awesome that you, and it's so cool that it just goes straight to your hardware wallet. That's just, that's exactly what we want. It gives a new address every time. It supports Lightning. It's like pretty easy to use. It's only going to get easier. Uh, We'll probably see like a bunch of people offering like hosted BTC pays, which isn't like fantastic, but it's a trade off and it'll make it easier to use them. And at least there'll be a lot more competition than just like a single BitPay or a single Patreon. So I think that's a big deal that it'll foster competition there. And then I also think like, I think BTC Pay will be like the leading on-ramp and off-ramp for non-KYC Bitcoin users. I think from from an on-ramp point of view, it will be uh, merchants offering goods and services and getting paid in Bitcoin. Uh, and that's how they will accumulate Bitcoin. Just like we accumulate fiat now, we work and we get paid. And then I think from an off-ramp point of view, um, it'll be people buying goods and services. 
and you won't have to go into fiat because you can just buy goods and services with your Bitcoin. And then just to add on top there, I think merchants that have like they're overexposed to Bitcoin, they have too much Bitcoin in their BTC pay. And unlike B- unlike something like BitPay or even OpenNode, where they have fiat connection, the merchants don't have any fiat connection there. So I think they actually become ideal. They become ideal, like almost like ATMs. They're like faux ATMs. And I think I've talked to the BTC pay guys a lot. They're working on a ton of things right now, but I think it'd be cool if they had a, had it built into it where you were, they're able to sell some of that Bitcoin for cash, like on the spot uh, and be able to reduce their exposure there. And then the last, last but not least is, you know, we have this, this thing pay join where you do a coin join with the person who's receiving the transaction from you. And the biggest limiter to that is that it's interactive. So the receiver needs to be online. So BTC pay servers always online. It's like an ideal situation where every payment to these merchants can be a, a coin join. And the nice thing there is the amounts are unequal. So it's got a way better heuristic profile than these like coin joins like that we see with like Whirlpool and Wasabi that are just all equal amounts. What other projects do you see being on a similar level as a BTC pay server? Is there anything even remotely close without going to the heights of you know lightning and things like that yeah i mean lightning's cool obviously i'm bullish on lightning i don't i don't really think so you know i'm obviously i'm a big big supporter of both wasabi and whirlpool i think they're both very important projects um cautiously optimistic that join market is going to get more friendly to use soon Uh, as you can see i have a very i'm very privacy focused oh i really like I'm excited about uh, Justin Moon's Junction project and similar projects there. Uh, just basically, and just HWI and partially signed Bitcoin transactions, because the idea here is that if we can just have like a person run Bitcoin Core on their computer, and then they run one other piece of software, and they're able to use like multi-sig hardware wallets with their own node, that's pretty crazy. That would be a huge improvement. The current setup where like you're using Electrum and you have to run an Electrum server and stuff is just way too difficult. I'm not happy with that. So I think I think projects like that, stuff we see in like the in the HWI world, the PSBT world, where we're seeing like easier multi-sig with your own node. Uh, that I want to see more of that. But but nothing's on the level that like the singular level of BTC Pay. Like BTC Pay is an absolute game changer in so many different ways. And and just watching this developer community grow up around it is just pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, so many good people over there that, uh, you know, I didn't hear hear about a couple of years ago. Now they're in there, you know, you know, doing a million commits a day. I don't know how many commits a day they do, but they do quite a bit, you know, really uh, pushing forward this, uh, this software project on many different levels. Like I think yesterday I just saw that they added support for for liquid and uh, doing stuff over there like i don't know how much i really care about liquid to be entirely honest but it's it's something to play with i guess and something to uh to look at what's your opinion on liquid it's not that interesting to me to be honest and i think before btc pay server kind of adding support for them they didn't really have a lot going for them i don't even know who what you could even use that for other than if you were doing some kind of exchange movement which i don't really do trades anymore i don't i i basically do what you do and just buy bitcoin you know sometimes i sell it to play uh, play with different technology things move it on to lightning 
I might sell a tiny bit of Bitcoin to go buy Litecoin to put Litecoin onto a Litecoin lightning thing and then see that there's nothing on there and then immediately close it out, sell it back <laughs> for Bitcoin. I don't even know where I was going with that. The, the main use for liquid, it makes a lot of sense to me. I agree with you. It, it, exchange to exchange. Yeah. And if you're doing that anyway, like the trust model where you have to trust like a like a threshold of exchanges, basically, like a majority of these regulated entities that are holding the multi-sig keys is not a bad trust model because you're already just trusting one of them there. But like this whole, I 100% I, I see liquid people would be happy about BTC pay. It's obviously an improvement on their part. So it's just good, good to be a part of that software library. But like as a BTC pay server guy that I like really like BTC pay, I thought it was a complete non-story that they added liquid. <laughs> like I could care less. Right. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'll change my mind if you can easily go in and out of liquid without KYC and with like, without it, like a custodian. Cause I guess like right now, like if you want to do that, you could go through I guess they're saying like side shift AI, or I guess you could even go through Bitfinex because they don't do KYC. But like, that's just, I'm past that point. Like I, my philosophy, I've seen so many exchanges fall down that my philosophy is, you know, any money you put in an exchange, like if you deposit money into an exchange, like you just assume it's gone at that point. And then you're just happy when, if it comes out the other side, <laughs> like you should just be just be grateful that you got it back. I just assume it's lost. I mean, on the subject of exchanges, they're there to make money. They're not not there for some ideological reason. They're not there for Bitcoin. They're not there for, you know, any of those other things, you know, which is fine. They're there for whatever business they want to do. I definitely don't like certain companies, I would say that they're, they're you know, they're a Bitcoin company and then they're adding a lot of uh, very specific shit coins right. that... Uh, don't really make sense within that context. So at what point do you kind of judge that all of that to be bullshit? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I view it from the same point as you. I just, um, I assume they're greedy actors, uh, which you basically just assume everyone's a greedy actor. That's one of the beauties of Bitcoin is that it operates under that assumption. And I actually, you know, in terms of specifically, I mean, I think what you're talking about is all a bunch of these exchanges are about to go like whole hog into the proof of stake bullshit. They have a direct incentive to pump it because they want people to stake with them. Um, it gives them more influence over the network. And if they have more money on the platform, like people will be more likely to trade in the casino and use like additional revenue generating products for them. So like we've actually seen like with Binance, Binance offers for Tezos, they, and this is a perfect example of how I watch other chains to like learn things. They, they offer Tezos more return if you stake with them than if you stake with your own node through the, like the delegation process. So they, they're basically taking a loss on that just to get you in the door. Then they become one of the main validators of the chain. Then they get to sell you all these other revenue generating products. You know, I'm not going to support it. I won't support those exchanges, but I'm not going to necessarily hold it against them because it's clear revenue generation. Um, and then same on the privacy front. Like these exchanges, they're regulated entities. And if they're not regulated entities, they have huge targets on their back. And they're going to try and cover their ass and they're going to use these chain analysis companies and, 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 and whatnot and, and log all your information and take all this information to cover their ass. And they're going to share it with these parties. So we need to, Bitcoiners need to put themselves in a situation where they can't do that to us, you know, where they, they can't, we already are in the situation where they can't take our coins if you just don't keep it on exchanges. And we need to be in a situation where they can't take our privacy as well at the same time. Exchanges shouldn't be able to track all of our past and future transactions. 
they can. And do I hold it against them? I mean, a little bit, yeah, but like they can, so they are. And they're, a lot of them are being forced to. So we need to make it so they can't. I mean, I would agree with that. I think a bigger criticism, and I think it's hard to fault them per se for it, I guess, but is just the fact that a centralized exchange is limited in their ability to help all customers at all times. They sent something to a wrong address or you know what have you. Right. Because it's a centralized exchange, it's not a straightforward process just to give it back to the customer. It takes real work, you know, for them to go in and, you know, do something about it. Yeah. Or look at like Quadriga or Mt. Gox or whatever. You like try and sell a top and then you end up with nothing, you know? So I just, I like the nice conservative approach. Just, you know, try and eliminate trusted third parties as much as possible. And that means I just avoid exchanges like the plague. I just, whatever I have my one trusted on-ramp, I use it, I withdraw it to my own to my own wallet, I coin join, and I move it to cold storage, and that's that. Are there any improvements coming down the line that you would see as better than the exchange model? I don't know if these are actual improvements, but I just want to throw out a couple names. I like SparkSwap. I know that they're not necessarily private per se. But I, I really like how easy it is just to, you know, move money on to Lightning and, you know, maybe something like Disk, you know, or anything like that. Do you have more optimal ways to purchase Bitcoin than, you know, maybe using uh, Coinbase or any of the larger? Uh... Well, so SparkSwap is interesting. As we talked about earlier, I think Lightning does provide some interesting privacy benefits, or at least it will in the future. I'm not sure if we're there yet. And uh, you are giving a bunch of information to SparkSwap. They do know your node information, so they know your public capacity, I think. Obviously, any transactions you send through their channels, they they see and could be logging if they wanted to. They do have KYC information. I actually, I was super excited for SparkSwap, but I never, I haven't tried it because I didn't want to do the KYC because it was with some like random third party. Uh, or I guess not random, they're like a known third party, but I didn't know them, so I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Uh, personally, like, I think if you do use KYC exchange, like you should just pick, you know, pick one that you like, maybe trust a little bit more than the others. Cause they're all sharing the information, but they're not all going to get their information stolen or leaked and stuff like that. Right. So you try and limit your KYC exposure as much as possible. So I unfortunately have not been able to play with SparkSwap, but it seems very interesting. The whole idea of on-ramping directly onto lightning makes a lot of sense to me. BISC is great. It's hard to use with large amounts. The issue here is always the fiat side, right? It's the the choke points are always on the fiat side. You know, you're sending bank transfers, you're connecting to bank accounts and fiat sucks. Like that's why we're here. Um, So they're able to crack down. Governments are able to crack down on that side. And when they're not able to in certain situations, like with BISC and stuff, then they do like undercover stuff to try and make examples of people. We saw that on local Bitcoins. Uh, where they will do like cash cash deals with people and it'll be undercover and then they'll hit them with some some related offense for that and just try and scare other people not into doing it. I mean, I come full circle. We're back. Like I have BTC pay. Like I think BTC pay is going to be the main way. Obviously people can mine. That's always a good way to get non-KYC Bitcoin, but it's if, depending on your electricity costs, you're going to pay like a 30, 40% premium over if you bought it. So that's not really that good of an option. So like you accept Bitcoin for, for goods and services, you give them a 15% discount if they pay with Bitcoin 
and basically to the merchant, they're paying a 15% premium to not KYC when they get their Bitcoin. I mean, I think that's, you know, definitely a, a, a way to get Bitcoin. I think the other way to get Bitcoin is to tell your sponsors to pay you in Bitcoin, right? Yeah, but that's the same thing, right? It's your merchant. It's goods or services. In this case, it's the podcast. Still talking about lightning, something that I was thinking about before, let's say, because this is something that's kind of fresh on my mind, is the idea of if someone were to take the kind of philosophy of Samurai's Bitcoin wallet and kind of bring that to lightning, I feel like there are a lot of little things that people could do right now to make a much more privacy-focused lightning experience. Do you have any opinions on that? Yes, 100%. I love that idea. That's what I, I think, I think right now, like, look, most Bitcoiners understand that we have a trade-off between uh, being able to verify the supply and privacy. And I think one of the best balances we can have here in the short term is people run their own nodes, they coin join, and then they fund lightning channels with coin joined outputs and run. And obviously that that on their own node that they're running through Tor. And ideally there's like a mix of private channels in there, but I also think there should be some public channels because you should help with routing. Because just from the the most basic principle of that, there's no toxic change there uh, that you can, you, you know, coin selection is such a pain in the ass. So if you have all this toxic change, you're going to inevitably, especially as fees rise, you're going to inevitably relink that with the rest of your wallet. So if we can if we can make it so it's easy enough that you can just coin join with your own node and then you move it into lightning, that'd be pretty great. I don't know if it necessarily has to be integrated. I mean, if, if we're talking about like a private way to KYC, a private way, a more private way of to KYC, if you have something like get bitter in Europe where you give them an XPUB, right? And they, when you send them a bank transfer, they're non-custodial. They just automatically send it to your XPUB to a new address. You can give them a Samurai, you get a fresh fresh Android phone. If you have an old one, then it's really cheap. But even if you have to get a new one, you like drop $200 on a new one. You install a Samurai wallet fresh, you link it to your dojo. Uh, you put the XPUB in to get bitter. Uh, every time you send a bank transfer, it goes to your Samurai wallet pre-mix. And then you just click the mix button on the app because they're about to roll out mobile mixing. You click mix. And then when it's gone through a couple of rounds, then you just like open Zap or whatever you're using to manage your Lightning node, and you just deposit it into there and open a channel. That's that's pretty clean, especially since like most people are using a like a desktop computer for uh, actually interacting with their node. But I mean, you could even presumably, I mean, it, then then you're going into like Android trust models, and like maybe you should be using Graphene and stuff. But it all comes down to your threat model. But you could have like um, Zeus or Zap on your phone, and then you don't even need a computer. You could just right after you mix on Samurai, you just plop it right in there and open a channel. But if it got integrated, that would be fucking awesome. Just like mix, open, good. Yeah, exactly. Like having that to be a one one experience. You don't even have to think about it. Coin joins happen in the background before you open channels, or you know what what have you. And I don't know what other improvements could happen, but I have the the intuition that. There's things available out there in Lightning Land that aren't being utilized right now that could be utilized for privacy things. I can't pull on that out of my ass right now, but I it's kind of my intuition that there's things being left on the table at the moment. There's tons of things left on the table, uh, and I'm actually kind of a, like an idiot when it comes to that stuff too. I mean, the big the big one though I would say is like in the short term is multi path payments because 
you know, then that then your payments being split up through multiple different nodes on on the way to its final and and destination. So that seems like a significant privacy improvement to me. So I think that I think that'll be a big deal. But I think, like I said, like we really need to watch the things individuals can do is they should be running Tor nodes, they should be running Lightning Tor nodes, and and help the network. And then other things is like routing improvements, like the way that it chooses routing, like it shouldn't be on like lowest fee. It's, there should be a privacy component there where you want more hops. Little things like that will should significantly improve it. And I just go back all the way to earlier in the conversation when we were talking about will a crackdown help Bitcoin? There is a bright line to this, to that, you know, that negative possibility that I pointed out is that if there is a crackdown, like all of a sudden making sure that it's easier to use Bitcoin privately becomes a massive priority. If people are being uh, made examples of, and if governments are cracking down, just ideally, the ideal situation in that kind of situation would be that it wasn't, you know, a major world power who's doing it so that we have a little room to move there. Because otherwise, it's, it, you know, it's the US or, or like Western Europe, like it could get really dicey, like really quickly. And I think I want to move on a little bit here to maybe uh, touching on the closed loop or the circular economy here. But I think for a lot of people, Bitcoin's a hard sell. Bitcoin and dealing with all the complexity kind of involved is a hard sell. How do we, you know, get more of the uh, the, the closed loop economy or, or circular economy started? One way that I I like to bring up with with guests on here is the the marijuana industry that if you know you go down to a dispensary in a state that has it legalized and i've had a lot of conversation with these people for reasons they all seem to know what bitcoin is and they all seem to have a good reason why they don't accept bitcoin or at least in my experience they do the ones that i've talked to have said that you know i can't pay my my vendors in bitcoin so if i can't pay them in bitcoin you know what's the point i need to convert it to cash anyway so whatever, you know, just give me cash. And that made sense to me if, you know, we could convert their vendors and if we could convert the vendors of the vendors, you know, and turtles all the way down, we could, you know, build something and then the marijuana shops could actually accept it directly. Then, you know, the employees could get paid in Bitcoin, you know, people could come in and pay in Bitcoin and then, you know, round it goes. You know, how do we actually make that more of a reality? I mean, it's very much like a chicken and egg situation. For the vendors to accept Bitcoin, they need to have people that are willing to pay them Bitcoin. Uh, so uh, there's there's no easy solution there. But I, I think what happens is like, I think over time, our traditional system, like we, we currently live in like a financial panopticon and they're pushing it harder and harder. And the, the easiest people to convince right now are at the fringes. Uh, you know, you get your Patreon closed, you get your PayPal frozen, you, you know, you get bank accounts closed, or like your currency devaluates. And you had there, there's, there's rules about how much money you're allowed to move out of the country. Like you have these situations that arise because the traditional system is broken, and it's centralized, and it's prone to corruption. And those things will naturally increase Bitcoin adoption. It's the same reason Bitcoin has been successful. Like if we didn't need a censorship resistant money, Bitcoin never would have been successful. Like why would you deal with the trade-offs of that Bitcoin has uh, if you could just instantly send money through Venmo and have no issue? Uh, that would, you know, it would never happen. So we, I think people just need to not 
expect the world to happen so quickly. Um, I think it'll be like more of a slow and steady kind of grind. Uh, and then one day it just will be. And on, but on a more short term note, like that's one of the reasons why I like this idea that like BTC pay merchants can then sell Bitcoin for cash, you know, because then they, it like, it kind of jump starts that chicken and egg because they can get, they can both get cash and they, it's like an extra revenue generation for them. Like people coming in uh, to buy some, you know, small amounts, like buy $20 of the Bitcoin, buy $30 of the Bitcoin, and maybe they'll buy some milk while they're there or something else. While you were saying all that, I, what I was kind of picturing in my head was, you know, the state of the internet and maybe even the state of the world was 10 years ago, roughly around when uh, Bitcoin was created and was released. How different are things going to look in 10 years? You know, not even thinking about Bitcoin specifically at the moment. How different will content creation, uh, people monetizing themselves, all that. I feel like all of like all of those different things have been transformed in the last decade like tremendously. And I think, you know, with BTC Pay and other things kind of, you know, they're like you were saying, they're very new still, you know, even as as good as they are, they're still very new and, you know, uh, in their infancy. In, in 10 years, are we going to look back and laugh at how absurdly infantile we all were with uh, what we had like right now? Yes, absolutely. I think it's, it's impossible to really fathom what the next 10 years will bring. Uh, if you just look back at the last 10 years, you can see that. And you, you like mix, we just, we add censorship resistant money to the mix. You just, you just make Bitcoin's the best money we've ever had. It's just part of that mix and everything that goes around that happens around it at the end of the day, like money rules the world. Right. And, and Bitcoin's a better money and it's, it's inherently digital. It's like an actual digital bearer token. Like that's insane. People will gravitate towards this better money, uh, especially as more things go digital. So I, I don't, I don't, I think like to speculate, you know, people talk about like machine to machine payments and stuff, you know, like I, my dude, Bitcoin sign guy, like he talks about uh, like onion routed drones, self-driving cars. And like they, it's so much easier for them to get paid in Bitcoin. Uh, they can verify it, you know, they can run their own notes and they can verify it and actually confirm that, you know, they actually got money transferred to them. So it's like, just really, it's, I don't even, I, I don't try, I don't make predictions that far out. I think people overwhelmingly people aren't idiots and especially when it comes to their own their own success and their own livelihood and they'll gravitate towards this they'll just realize that it's a better option and and they'll be removed from other options like it'll start with the people that have no other option and then it'll it'll go inward how or should we bring people into the mix i have a certain buddy who at the very beginning of me getting into bitcoin you know he bought some too you know, sold it at the wrong time, bought it at the wrong time, got really salty, etc. And has always kind of resisted, you know, me talking about it after that. So I would bring up some cool wallet or some cool thing that I'm, you know, super into. But he's like, cool. Thanks, Chaz. I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's really awesome about your whatever bullshit you're talking about today. <laughs> Have you kind of experienced that? Has that been common in your life? And is that something that we should overcome or something that we should just, just accept and not focus on and just do what we do and hope that eventually people come to what we've built in Bitcoin land? That's like pretty much been my, my whole experience in Bitcoin has been what you just described. Uh, 
until recently when I actually started like going out and meeting actual Bitcoiners all the time. Uh, and now it's just like a ton of people that also had shared that same exact experience because inevitably these people always don't listen to you. And then they buy the top of the next speculative mania and then it goes immediately down and they, they either sell at that point and get wrecked or then they stay around. And I had a couple of people stay around. I had, there was this one friend from middle school and high school who I convinced her in the 2013 run, I had been talking about Bitcoin from like $150 all the way up, all the way up to like 1100, right? And she bought like on like the day before the top, she bought it like a thousand, she, she finally, she was like, nope, match full of shit, match full of shit, match full of shit. But she was checking the price, you know, like everyone, like they're always checking the price in the background. And she told me after the fact, she's like, yeah, I bought, I bought. And then it just went down for like two years. It just went down. And I think like most people will come in at tops and some will get dissuaded and some will stick around. And then the next speculative mania happens and the same thing will happen over again. Because at the end of the day, the price, at least in the developed world where we don't have as much financial censorship happening, that's going to be the main driver of adoption and people coming in is, is these pumps is where they come in. And I, I, my, my goal nowadays is I just, everyone that's close to me knows I love Bitcoin. They know I'm dedicated to this. Like I've, you know, dedicated like a decent chunk of my life to this. When the time comes that they're ready, like they'll know to reach out to me. They know to come to me. So I don't have to come to them anymore. I, I think that's, that's the best way to do it. You give them like a light introduction and if they're not interested, then, you know, you just wait and they'll, you know, they'll either be interested or they won't be like, you can't like, we're not going to convince everyone, at least in the beginning, it'll, it'll take time. Everything will take time. And you just, you just do it lightly. I th think I want to move on from the topic of lightning here and briefly talk about your podcast, if you don't mind. Sure. Absolutely. Do you want to go ahead and let the listeners know as if they don't already know, but let's, let's put on the pretense that they don't know what podcast that you uh, co-host there, but you just want to let them know what it is and all that. So we have this podcast, Tales from the Crypt. TFTC.io is our website. You can search Tales from the Crypt and your favorite podcast app. It was started by my co-host, Marty Bent, two years ago, three years ago, two and a half, I don't know, a while ago. And it's, you know, the normal format interview series that we see a lot in the Bitcoin world, uh, where he just interviews very interesting people in Bitcoin. And I've been very lucky to join him in those interviews. And then at the same time, we have this rabbit hole recap, which I started with him. And that was like a year and a half ago, I started that with him and it lives in the same channel. And that is a weekly news roundup, but without all the bullshit, there's no like shit coins and stuff, unless like it's a learning experience for Bitcoin. There's just no noise, none of the blockchain, not Bitcoin bullshit, no ICOs, you know, we do have sponsors, but we pick them very, very carefully. We just talk from the hip. Like I just call it as I see it. I don't have, you know, one of the, the nice things is I still have like a full-time fiat job. So I don't really have a horse in this race besides my Bitcoin bags. Uh, so I'm not trying to, you know, shill bad product. I use things and then I talk about them. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's kind of been one of my operating rules is if, even if I ever do take on a sponsor, it's pretty much going to be me approaching the sponsor saying, Hey, I like your shit. You know, let me shill it for money, please. Have you considered having your own kind of podcast where you riff on various topics or, you know, do your own kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I love Marty. Marty's like a brother to me. 
and I would love to just grow tails from the crypt with him. So uh, that's the path I'm leading right now. But, you know, I'm always open to other opportunities. But like, yeah, I want to have, I, I ideally want to have a show on Tales from the Crypt. That's like my show. So then we'll have the traditional Tales from the Crypt interview series. I don't know, maybe video content. I've been exploring a bunch of different things. We recently launched, uh, you know, Marty has this daily newsletter that he's been writing for three years, which is insane. Just this idea that he writes about Bitcoin every morning on every weekday for three years. I could never do that. Um, but I just added to that, we have this, we call it the SAT standard, which is a weekly newsletter uh, that goes out on Saturdays. Like that's my baby. Like I put that together. So that's been fantastic to do. And, but yeah, like maybe I, I'm not even sure though, if I'm, who knows, like I, you don't really know till you try it, but I'm not sure if I'm that good of an interviewer, I just like talking about Bitcoin. So uh, like rabbit hole recap is like my absolute baby. I love doing that every week. Uh, it's just fun. To be fair, I think there's various interviews that you do that end up being really, really good because you're there because you add this kind of your certain flavor. I think Marty is very different and has his own kind of flavor. Like, for example, the uh, the American HODL uh, <laughs> Uh, interview. I mean, that one was fucking ridiculous, but I, th I think it's because you all had this ridiculous flavor going on in it and it melded very well. So I, my personal opinion, I think if you had that going on your own, you know, it would work pretty well, but Hey, you know, I'm not here to uh, push you into your own podcast here. <laughs> I'll tell you, I love joining for the interviews. It's fantastic. The American Hollow episode is ridiculous. Uh, we had the Arbed Out episode is ridiculous. We just recorded one with Andrew Chow. So I was super happy to be there for, there was a little bit less of my flavor there, but I was very big on making sure we talked about coin selection, which is something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And we had a really good conversation about that. But yeah, I would be lying if I said I haven't been considering it. It's just, we have, I honestly, I feel like since I've jumped into Bitcoin head first, I mean, I guess I've always, but I, I ramped it up in 2017, uh, like late 2017, 2018. I just, there's not enough time in the day. I'm like playing with all these toys. I'm already, I've, I'm already recording RHR for this like three hours. It's a one hour recording, but like between going to the studio and talking beforehand, talking after afterwards, that's like three hours there. And I want to do more guide videos and stuff like that. So there's just really not that much time in the day. So it's, it's just, but that's good. That's a good issue to have. But I, I definitely, I definitely see a future where I, I do some of my own shit more. Um, just because also I, I just like, you know, doing my own shit. Like, that's just uh, one of the reasons I love Bitcoin. We get to, you know, be our own bank. Like That's fantastic. I mean, agreed. Uh, I guess I just, I'm, my, my perspective is a little bit different. You know, I haven't had a full-time income for quite a while. So, you know, part of the reason why I started my podcast was like, uh, you know, I have all this free time. I, I I need to be doing something to be kind of useful. I have I have no idea if this podcast is is useful in that sense. I think it is, and I've been doing it long enough that quite a few people have said that it's it's helpful. Other people have said that they've gained information from it. And but after a while, you know, you're doing something like you know doing a podcast, and then you're like, well, you know, what else can I do? And I think, you know, very naturally, I've been kind of going to the same place that you've been going of, you know, I'll do video content. I'm not clear on, you know, where I want to do video content. I've just kind of reorganized my entire apartment 
um, and to make it easier for me to shoot video content, even though I have no idea what I'm going to do. That's kind of how I, <laughs> I uh, do things. But do you, do you see you, this is kind of something similar that you're like, I'm sitting here, I have this time, I want to do something for Bitcoin, you know, put more value out there. Is that something you actively think about? Yeah, I mean, look, this week, so I still have my fiat job, right? This week, I, I flew to San Francisco. I helped them with the Human Rights Foundation workshop. Then I flew back. That was late last night. Then I had two calls talking with Bitcoin, about Bitcoin with different different companies in the space that, that wanted some advice with things that I pushed them off to today because I was in San Francisco. And then I jumped on this podcast with you because I really like going on the other podcasts in the space I like. I think that's like a really good way of just building quality content everywhere. I, I'd love to see that. And uh, the, the workshops in general have just been super rewarding we've done me evan kaludis i uh, just had a great episode with you everyone should listen to that episode if they haven't and josh uh, in new york uh, beefsteak josh he's a waste slice on twitter we've been running these bitcoin citadel workshops you know be your own citadel uh, we started with cold card and coin joins and using it with your own node i think we're gonna do like a build your own node workshop and that's just like super rewarding like i think like you know just hands-on uh, meeting with Bitcoiners. It's just fantastic. And I just really, really love that element. I just love going to dinner and drinking with Bitcoiners too. That's really fun. Yeah. So I, I basically every day I'm just thinking about how I can give back to Bitcoin because this community has given me so much and it's just really rewarding. Uh, and that's just like, no matter what, like that's basically my, that's my plan until number goes up to the point where I can just disappear in the woods somewhere. That's like, that's like the goal of life right now. Have you given much thought to, you know, taking whatever action you can to getting some kind of uh, Bitcoin income and dropping the, the fiat job entirely? Yeah, I mean, that's where it's going to get interesting, right? Because like, uh, that's what I want Tails from the Crypt to be. Like I want Tails, I, I think like me and Marty are building something really special there. And like, I, ideally, we could get to the point where that could just be my full time. Um, and then I could do all this other stuff on the side. And just in general, like I'm constantly looking for opportunities to work in the Bitcoin space. The in the past, like the past bear cycles, I just saw so many people who went full time Bitcoin uh, just get wrecked. You know, they just they got absolutely wrecked. And in the bear market, it's like really nice. It's just really nice having a completely independent salary in the bear market. That is a underrated uh, benefit. To, to be in that situation. I mean, we saw someone like Andreas who, when I got involved in Bitcoin, I would just like mainline his videos. I would just like watch his videos and then market by Bitcoin. <laughs> and then he had like no Bitcoin in 2017 because he was living off of it. And it was like, no, it was like it dropped to $150, you know, and he was just selling it for pennies uh, because he had to live off of it and he didn't have any uh, fiat on the side. So I was always very conservative about that. And I will admit that, there was a couple opportunities I had like late 2017, early 2018, like at the top uh, to move into Bitcoin full time. And I'm very, very grateful that I didn't do that. You know, I'm, I'm in a much more stable situation now. So I, I, I do I do see I said earlier, I don't want to make 10 year predictions, but like in the next like two years, like I'm going to be full time Bitcoin next three years, I'll be full time Bitcoin. I'll, I'm completely done with my fiat job. There's like no passion there whatsoever. Uh, it just pays the rent 
and makes it so I can accumulate more Bitcoin. Let's think about the uh, listeners for the moment, because I think at one point, all of us were, you know, thinking about what what we could do in Bitcoin or for Lightning, you know, really uh, inspires us, etc. What would you say to the listener out there that is like, you know, I want to help, but I can't do X, Y, Z because I'm not good enough at whatever, you know, the case might be if I'm not good at programming or I'm not good at, you know, content creation or whatever it is. Would you encourage them to do it anyway or to try to make something happen either way? Well, what I would say is, I mean, you should focus on yourself first. Uh, it's like the when you fly an airplane and they give you the the instructions on if the masks fall out of the plane, you're supposed to like put yours on first and then you put on other people's masks. Um, I think you should be greedy and you should just keep learning for yourself and just, and Bitcoin's an interesting beast where the more educated Bitcoiners we have, the more Bitcoiners that are doing best practices and are aware of everything, the stronger Bitcoin is. So you are inadvertently helping everyone else by helping yourself. And to go even further there, like if you have a business, right? And you want to accumulate Bitcoin, like you start accepting Bitcoin, you're, you're helping boost that circular economy for yourself. You're just helping yourself. So I think that's really important. The, the meetups are really important. Tread carefully in terms of privacy and stuff, but it's just been a huge net benefit for me. We have a great community in New York, uh, just talking to people in real life, like in person. And, but just in general, like the Telegram groups, Twitter to an extent, like don't let it get to your head. Don't be an asshole. Uh, but yeah, you know, do what you can and just don't lie. And then it doesn't matter. Like if you like, don't get overwhelmed and don't think you have to be perfect. No one's perfect. Everyone's just trying their best. We're all just trying our best. And people see that, like if you're actually acting ethically and whatnot, there's no harm in like creating content if you want to create content. But I, I wouldn't like just jump right into it. I would focus on myself first, like, you know, ask what Bitcoin can do for you and then take that to the next level. So I, I don't know how much uh, longer you want to be on here. I, I typically don't do the three hour long uh, interviews on, on, <laughs> on writing junkies. Was that a, uh, was that a, a dig at me? Because I, I'm kind of known for my, my epic, uh, my epic podcasts. I, I wouldn't call it a dig, but uh, it, I, I, I believe it is true, though, yes. Well, the key for those is you got to enter bourbon into the mix. Ah. And then at, at hour two, it gets really interesting. <laughs> I kind of like the uh, the business, not business, but the kind of podcast talk a little bit. Self-inspiration there and self-sufficiency is, I think, a huge part of uh, Bitcoin land. And something that I think I, I really latched on to when I started really getting into Bitcoin is, you know, being self-sufficient, taking care of yourself. Like I'm like I'm in my 30s and I really didn't do a good job of getting those skills in my 20s. And I've been doing a lot better in my 30s. Like uh, something that I pointed out recently was cooking. Like I'm, I'm dating someone that is a uh, professional cook. So, you know, it's, it's hard for their skills not to rub off. And it's like, I think, you know, obviously a lot of Bitcoiners are into their carnivore ways or whatever, but I think just being able to cook in general is, is hugely important. Uh, do you think that there are any other skills besides cooking that, you know, lend themselves to being self-sufficient and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I think you should just like, like life's important, you know, like I, it's easy to get like wrapped up in being obsessed with Bitcoin and I'm hundred percent guilty of it. You also have to take care of yourself in general. And you have to appreciate what you have and family, friends, uh, it's like super important, you know, take like 
exercise, like people should exercise. Uh, I personally, like my favorite form of exercise is like competitive sports. Um, and so I play soccer, I play tennis. Uh, I, I just enjoy, that's part of the reason why I like Bitcoin, I guess, is just because it's like a global competition. And yeah, I just, I think that it's easy to get way too wrapped up in this stuff and forget about what's really important. And I'm not trying to discount Bitcoin because I fucking love Bitcoin. I think it's the best money we've ever had. But at the end of the day, like your life is way more important and it's really fucking short. So you got to enjoy it. And I think people should just both take life a little bit more seriously and a little bit less seriously because we've got a lot of zombies out there just walking around not really thinking about shit well said i think i think that's a good a place as any to uh, uh, close out the episode man awesome thank you for having me it's been a pleasure i really enjoy your podcast and uh i just know that when i first got into it one of the reasons i did it was because i felt like there just wasn't good enough content out there for bitcoiners and i felt like it was something i can improve on but right now it is absolutely fucking bullish there's amazing amount of content out there and uh, you're a main part of it. So thank you for that. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying so. I mean, that's pretty much why I started this podcast. I was getting obsessed with all the th- stuff happening in Lightning. And I, you know, obviously different people were focusing on parts of it sometimes. But since Bitcoin is such a big world, it was a lot of it was more on Bitcoin itself and not necessarily on, on Lightning. So, hey, why not have a podcast that is only lightning and uh, talks about how obsessed we all are with, uh, you know, this technology. Fucking love it. (laughs) Uh, I wonder how many other people would describe themselves as being uh, obsessed with this technology. It's uh, I'm not sure if it's unhealthy or not over here. Number, number go up. The amount of people (laughs) obsessed is going up, man. Uh, do Do you want to give the spiel on, you know, how people can find you on the internets and all that? I'm at Matt Underdash Odell on Twitter and our podcast and newsletters you can find at tftc.io or just search Tales from the Crypt on, on your favorite podcast app. Well, once again, man, I, I appreciate you joining me and uh, we'll catch you later. Awesome. Take care, dude. Thank you. Boom. That was the 20th episode of Lightning Junkies podcast. 2120 on 2020 or, or something. I think I think that's correct. I think that's correct. Hopefully you learned something on this particular episode. We had a very fun conversation and I feel like it flowed very well. I'll definitely have Matt on again in the future for his insights and just general knowledge about things related to Bitcoin privacy and things similar. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so with Bitcoin or Bitcoin over the Lightning Network directly at crowdfund.lightningjunkies.net. There are also other ways to support the podcast monetarily, including Fold, Ellencast, and Tipping.me. You can also support the podcast without having to use any of your monetary sovereignty. You can leave a review on whatever podcast aggregator program that you might use. You can also share the podcast on social media, especially the twitter.com. Don't forget to subscribe and give me feedback so I can continue to improve the podcast. I think you lovely folks are probably sick of hearing my voice now, so we will leave it there. I invite you all lovely folks, all of you lovely folks, to join me. Please join me. I'll see you on the lightning now.
the Lightning Network is the best video game ever.